Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace. And not Emily. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) If you were gone the last couple of weeks or catching up or anything, Emily has now um, taken office. (laughs) (laughs) Not really sure. Not really sure what to say, but started her uh, more full time, whatever kind of amount of time you want to say. Um, work up with uh, the young women in the Young Women's Presidency. And if you don't know Grace, this is Grace. She's Emily's <laughs> daughter, but you can be independent. Of, you can be your own person. <laughs> just Grace. Grace. Just Grace and her daughter. Yeah. We and, like her. We'll keep her. Yeah. Emily will still be a part of the Don't Miss This team and the Good News brand team. Um, she's behind the scenes. In fact, we were just working this morning on the journal and the tippins and the posters for the Book of Mormon year coming up. And so she'll be behind the scenes working and helping on all of those things. Um, but this is the, this is the new, this is, this is the new face of, <laughs> we're going to be in front of the camera here. And so anyways, we're excited you're here. If it's your first week ever and you're just like, we don't, I don't even know who either of you are. Welcome. You don't have to because the, the hero of the show is Jesus and the scriptures about him. And we move through every single week um, following the Come Follow Me um, schedule. Um, and we're in the second half of the New Testament, and we're starting the book of Romans today. So that's where we're at, where we are, and we're ready. We can't wait. Okay, let's jump in. We're calling today The Good News. Which is the best name ever. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's the best and I part. should have put, I'm putting the exclamation point. Like, can I add on to this right now? Like, it really should be that. <laughs> Um, because it re- Paul, in this letter to the Romans, in particular, I feel like he just has, like, it's so enthusiastic. Where's that, that, that um, if you know one of my favorite uh, translations of the Bible, did something fall out, Grace, okay. was that your? No, it's irrelevant. Um, bookmark, um, is this, uh, by The Message, by Eugene Peterson, and it's, uh, he just talks about this line that's so awesome about where he says, the letter to the Romans is a piece of exuberant and passionate thinking. <laughs> and he just talks about like something happened, you know, in that, that changed, that split history. And something happened that changed the world. And that was the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul's passion, like he's so passionate about that. And it really comes out in a lot of his letters, and particularly in, in Romans. But this is what you might want to know about this from here to the end of the New Testament, is this. Oh, and you can be the also, clicker job. Oh, yeah, we'll do this in a second. Um, we'll do it right now, because I'll forget. All right, if you have the tippins, if you don't have the tippins, um, you can get these from Desert Book if you want. They are things that slide into your scriptures. And from here until the rest of the book, I actually really love the tippins. The tippins from the Gospels were, were good. These are like super good, I think, really helpful. The way that they're set up is they're kind of going to be a cool little intro for the book. And so you can slide it into your scriptures right at the beginning of the book of Romans. And it will just tell you stuff like that. Who's the author? When about was it written? This one was written approximately. We, took, we take the most who most Bible scholars, the date most Bible scholars agree on, but always approximate, 57 AD, and then who the intended audience was, and maybe what the conditions of that place were at the time. And then my favorite part of these tippins is there's sort of a little table of contents at the very bottom of it that just say, here's a couple things we think you don't want to miss from the book of Romans. Like in Romans 1, 16 is that awesome verse. In Romans 8, that's the whole chapter on the spirit. And Romans um, 16 is the list of the, like, so you can just kind of be triggered, like, oh, triggered in a good way of like, oh, this is like what, what's happening in this book. And then there's, it's white on the back, blank on the back. And so you can, maybe there's other verses that you're like, every time I want to come back to Romans, I want to remember I love this, and I love this, and I love this. So that's the tip-in for the book of Romans, and every book is going to have one like that. If you have the scripture phones, 
the phone scriptures. <laughs> I, I think you might want to do something similar. And like, I just highlight like just the very first letter of the book of Romans or something or, or the the name Romans and add a note and then put in there like, oh, here are the things I really love in the book of Romans. You can kind of make your own table of contents there. Well, so. especially with this book, because there's so many little verses that you're just going to die over. Right. That like you really are like you think that you might just only want these that are like handwritten. No, you're going to cover this whole thing. Like it's so good. Yeah. And you just want to remember, oh, yeah, that's where they are and have a quick like reference for it. I think yeah. that that's such yeah. a good idea. Okay. If you don't know, do you want to click that? P.S. Go back one. Sorry. This is what he just calls the people of Rome. Which is the cutest deer ever. It's like when you're starting out a letter, I'm like, you're kidding. I'm yeah. Like, Dear beloved of God. It's so you know, cute. It's just awesome. So, all right. This is a map that you can find in the back of the scriptures. And this is a, like all of Paul's missions. So all throughout the book of Acts, we kind of followed Paul on land and by sea. You know, to all, <laughs> one of my land, two, what is that? Oh, that's Paul Revere. <laughs> two Paul. Another Paul. As, a- right? As he like goes around all of kind of that, the, that area of the world at the time. You see this little dotted line, the yellow one? You probably can't, but, and if you're listening on podcasts, it's just the map in the back of the Bible that you can look up. And it shows sort of like what approximate places that he went on his journeys. And these were long. These journeys are several years long a piece. And... While he's going around, he's sort of establishing little branches of the church everywhere that he goes. But then also he's going to be, after he's established that branch, he will write letters to them, letters of encouragement or letters of correction or letters of whatever. Um, And that's what this second half of the New Testament is. So Romans is actually a letter. It'll say at the beginning, an epistle, a fancy word to say letter, um, to the people who live in Rome. Corinthians. This is a letter to the people who live in Corinth. And he was there, you see, on that purple journey. (laughs) All right. On his second journey, he was there. And then, so he is writing these letters to these places and they are not in order of time. What do you say? Chrono- they're not chronological. They're actually put in from biggest to smallest is the way they were put in. So that's why on the tip and there's a date and you might be interested in knowing like, oh, I, he was, you know, about right here, you know, when he wrote this letter, like, and he was on this journey while he was writing it. And so that's sort of how that is. And I, I think it's so awesome that he, you know, takes this time to keep in contact with, with everybody and, Stay connected to them. I think that is the cutest part about him. And you see it. This is not the only time that you see it. Right. Like, he really genuinely might be the one of the best people at loving his neighbor. Like, he's so, so good at, oh, wait, I actually really care about you right now and forever. That when I leave, I really am just, I still want to talk to you. I yeah. still want to hear about you. I still want to update you. Yeah. And he loves them enough to correct them. And he, but he also corrects people in a really hopeful way. And, and he experienced that. Like Jesus stopped him on the road and said, Paul, you're kicking against the pricks. You're going the wrong direction. And so he actually was a recipient of a, the loving and hopeful correction of Jesus. And you see that vibe in his letters also, which I think is, is, is really cool. I, um, when, Grace left on her mission. I taught Grace in seminary and we were just good, good friends. And Emily and I were working together. So we were, we were practically just family anyways. And so um, when missionaries were leaving on missions, one of the things I borrowed from a friend of mine, this idea was to write letters to those missionaries to kind of send them on days that they needed encouragement. And so the outside of the envelope would say something like, for the day you need strength or for the day you need encouragement, for the day you need hope for the day that's extra hard. And there were like three of those or something, you know, and then they would be sealed and they would open them up and they would be conference talks they printed out that would be particular for those times to encourage them. And it, and it seems like these letters are something sort of similar. Like Paul hears, gets word of what's happening. And he says, he's like, oh, I think this is what they, what they might need. Um, Jack's about to leave on his mission. And I was, we were just talking before. <laughs> it's like, do I print those out for him? Because maybe all I need to do is just put a little three by five card in there that says, for the day you need hope, like call me. <laughs> <Since> <laughs> just now, his phone number. No. 
<laughs> my phone numbers on every single one of the letters that I sent. It's like, oh, it's just the Here, same just thing. Give it's me like, a call. Yeah, for the day you need encouragement, FaceTime me. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, these are really cool. So let's jump into this letter to the to the Romans. It is like I just wish everyone could understand that I think that's the biggest lesson for me from Paul is he really loves the people he served. Like you see it, that's crazy to me. I couldn't even write my mom every single week on my machine. Like I, there was not even a chance. I, that is so lucky that you could call because you, it's so easy to call. It's hard to write a letter and he didn't forget anyone. Like that is a testimony to me of, oh wait, he really is. Like he's obsessed with these people. And we don't see that in today, but we'll see it in later lessons. Like he legit calls people out by name even. He's just like, will you remind so-and-so that and they're like, doing a good job? How and will you, you remember <laughs> them? What? So awesome. And he starts out this letter proving that love so clear. And he even says, like, first, here, I, like, I want you to know that I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. You have no idea your faith, the faith that you guys have. The whole world knows about it. Like, it is crazy big. He starts out with the cutest compliment in the whole entire world. Like, don't you forget, I love you, and everyone knows about your faith. It's that good. Yeah, verse, where is that? This is Romans 1, verse 8. Verse 8, okay. And it gets even cuter and cuter because then right after that, in verse 9, he says, you always are in my prayers. Hmm. And I think right now we throw that around really casually. Like, oh, I'm praying for you. Oh, that's happening. Don't worry, I'll pray for you. And that's tender but it means something different when it comes from someone that you love but also someone that you know will pray for you like intimately yeah. and deeply yeah and you don't realize that until someone says that for you and you're like wait actually that's going to mean something for me and he wanted them to know i even if i'm not writing you and even if i'm not talking to you face to face i need you to know i am thinking about you all the time so much so that i will pray for you yeah i will love you like that and that's cool that like I make mention of you in my prayers. Like I don't just like, I, there's, it makes you feel like he's saying people's names is what I think when you read that. And it's just something so special to me about if you want to know what it looks like, if you want to figure out how to have a relationship based on Jesus, maybe Paul is the type of person you want to look at because he's the type of guy that like when he leaves you, he's going to cry. And once he's gone for two months, he's going to write you a letter. And every single day in between those two dates, he's going to pray for you mm. by name. Mm. And I wonder if that's a pattern we could take in our own life a little bit more deeply. Because then it gets even cuter that he's like, wait, and I need you to know I didn't just come for you, but you came for me too. And if you skip down to verse, where is it? 12. 12. At yeah. the end, you guys, this is the cutest part ever, is that it says that... I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. And there's something different when your relationship is founded on faith with someone. Mutual faith. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That it's like. I need you and you need it's me. It's a cool word. And it's like going to be both of us. Yeah. And there's, I just barely got back from Argentina. And I was with this group of like 20 strangers. No one knew each other before we got on the trip. Like everyone was strangers when we got there. And usually it takes a second to like have like really like tender connections with people. And especially if they're in high school, which all of them were, like it takes a little bit longer to get to know each other. And um, what happened by the end is we were best friends. Like genuinely, they are my best friends. Like I am obsessed with them. I love them. I want to see them every single day. I could talk to them about anything. Like everything was fair game with them. And it was so interesting because one day we were walking and this, um, one of the girls was talking to me and she was saying to me, I've never had connections this deep this quick. Mm. And I was like, why do you think that? Like, what do you think was different here? Because I don't think it was that we're in a foreign country or anything. Like, we are all strangers. What do you think the difference was? And she didn't even hesitate when she answered. And she was like, oh, it's because we talk about Jesus together. Mm. And I think once we started talking about Jesus, our connection became deeper. Yeah. And it just makes me think, oh, these weren't just casual friends for Paul. Because he was talking to them about something deeper. Their faith needed each other. Those conversations that they were having about Jesus changed their regular relationship. Yeah, and you wouldn't forget somebody who, like, 
helped you on the side of the road. Like that's a memory that you would always remember, right? That you're just like, oh, I remember that person who stopped and they helped me. Now consider if it was something even more significant than a flat tire. It was like, I actually needed you in a really spiritually weak time of my life. Or you made an impact on me that like, that changed the trajectory of how I thought and how I felt and how I believed. And I think you're right. There's something about, and even the verse before he just says, I might impart some spiritual gift. And maybe that is the spiritual gift that it's like to be able to be connected through mutual faith. What a spiritual gift that is. Mm. And then it goes down to verse 16. And it is, this is like a power like a powerhouse verse right here already. But it means something different to me after reading the beginning of the letter because he just says, like, this line is insanely good, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I think my whole life, I always thought that meant something really big. Like, oh, I, in these huge moments when everyone's watching, I'm not ashamed. But I think if you go back to the beginning of the letter, he shows you what it looks like to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And it means praying for someone. Hmm. Oh, I'm not afraid to tell you that you're in my prayers and I mean it and I'm really praying for you. And oh, actually, it means like I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So let's talk about it together and let me be strengthened by your faith and let me strengthen yours. Let's do that both ways. That's what like not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ maybe is a lot more of an everyday thing than a one time when there's this really big moment. And I think sometimes we wait for that big moment. We're like, oh, yeah. I'm not ashamed right now. But maybe it's every day. And mm. I remember there was this one day in high school. And anytime I think of that phrase, I'm not ashamed, I think of this. And it really was just an everyday moment for me. And I was walking to my class with my friend. And the hallways where I went to high school were super, super long. And I was at the very end of the hallway. And there were a couple kids in our class that were in front of us. And it was, I was walking with my friend. Our class was the very last class in the hallway. And in the middle of the hallway, the closer we got, we started seeing that, like, there was this group of boys, like, huddled together. And it was kind of, like, really ruckusy. Like, we were like, oh, I don't hmm. know really what's happening right there. But Good word. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell that maybe something was a little bit crazy happening. And the closer that we got, um, we saw that they had, like, scriptures, and they were just ripping out pages. Hmm. And they were throwing them on the ground, and they were kicking it, and they were picking it up and throwing it and spitting on it. And instinctively me and my friend that I was walking to class with just went to the other side of the hallway. Like we were just like, okay, like that's not what we do. So we're going to be on the other side. And there was a boy, he was a senior. He was a grade older than us. And he was probably like 15 steps in front of us. And um, he started walking to the other side of the hallway and then just walked immediately to the group. And me and my friend were like, could not take our eyes off of him. We're mm. like, okay, what's going to happen right now? And he walks over and he doesn't say anything. He just bends down and he starts picking up all the pages from the scriptures and like collecting them. And um, one of the boys like looked at him and he was like, what are you doing? This book doesn't mean anything. It's fake. Like, da it's nothing to us. And he's just collecting the picture, the papers. And he looks up and he says, yes, but it means something to me. And... The boy spit on him and scuffed at him and he picked up all the things and he stood up and he just walked right to class and that was that. And me and my friend, like our jaws were on the floor. We were like, no, like what just happened? And we start chasing after the boy that's in our class and he sits down in our class before us and he just has the scriptures. And I will never forget the scriptures just crumbled all over his desk. And we walk in and we were like, oh my goodness, how were you brave enough to do that? And he looked at us and he said, I've been praying to know if I would be brave enough to go on a mission. Mm. And God gave me this chance to prove that I am. And that is not being ashamed to live the gospel of Christ, but that's an everyday thing. That just happened in his everyday life. That was on at 7.40 in the morning on his way to class. Yeah. And I don't think we should get confused. Like, oh, not being ashamed is just your everyday. Yeah. It's just living Christ in your everyday. Well, I love the words that he says, where he's just like, but they mean something to me. And I, like to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ is, however, I'm, whatever my actions are by myself or with others, my thoughts, they're actually based in the idea of like these, I think this matters. I think this makes a difference. I think the words of God change situations. I think they change lives. I think you know, and, and I mean, he even says that right after, because it's the power of God unto salvation 
to everyone who believes. He's just like, I believe that. I believe that there is power in these words and there's power in these promises. And, and I think it's a solution to problems that it's not going to be my last resort that I'm, you know, that these, in, in, in essence, Landon was saying to those kids, you're just like, this could have an impact in your life. It's had an impact in, in mine. Like, I don't know. That's just powerful and beautiful to, to think about. Um, I, that we have the worksheet for this week. Um, which you can find in your journal or it's in the newsletter to print out is would be super cool. I think just by yourself to think through this, some of the questions that are on here or for a class, this would be really cool to print out copies of and give to people. Just who do you know because of their faith? Like he says, like, the, you know, your faith is known throughout the world. So who, you know, who's, who's someone that like, you know, of their faith because of what you've observed what could be spoken about your faith? Like, what do you think people might say about you? What's one thing you believe about the gospel? And why, what is one reason you're not ashamed of the gospel? And you could take that right now and just give that out, which would be so, which is a really cool activity to let people just think through and say, okay, why, what, what does it mean to me? Like, what, what would I want to say about it? Where, what impact has it had for me? Or you could use this and kind of fill it out throughout today's lesson. If I were teaching Romans 1 through 6, I think that would be the emphasis of what I would point out. There's so much, obviously, in every section of Scripture. and But I think in this one in particular, you might say, like, let's list all the things, all the good news, the things that have power, the things that, like, thrill your heart and your soul about Jesus and the gospel. So... Good. And sometimes it's easier, if for me at least, to do it in Scripture and then think about my real life. Mm. Sometimes if I just try to take something from Scripture and just directly take it to my life, I'm like, oh, I don't really, I don't know how that's going to apply. But it could be helpful to just go through and be like, okay, where do I see this in Romans? And then after, underneath it, okay, where do I see it in my real life? Cool. Yeah. Just to get things, the ball rolling yeah. on it or whatever. All right, so as you go on, we're going to skip to the section that's in Romans 3, but just so you don't kind of get lost. Uh, P.S., we should say this about Romans, the book of Romans. If you're reading it and you feel a little bit lost and overwhelmed, <laughs> let me give you two bits of advice. <laughs> One, people do their whole doctrinal thesis on sections of the book of Romans. So it is an intense book theologically. And so just so you know, if, if you're like a one-time reader through, you, there's going to be some awesome things that you'll pull out, but it is a book you could really dive deep into. Like legit, it's like like examined and studied and the Greek and all this stuff, right? Number two, a little bit of advice. You might want to get another translation of the Bible if you read the King James Bible uh, to read alongside with it or several. Um, you might get, uh, ESV is a great Bible to use. The NIV is a great Bible to use. This, um, it's, it's, they don't call it a translation, the message, and I can't remember what they call it, but wh whatever. The message is an awesome one to use just to understand the grammar. Like sometimes I read the book of Romans and I'm like, I don't even know where the verb is in that sentence. Like what just <laughs> happens, you know? So at least to understand what's happening, another translation of the Bible is really helpful to be able to just read alongside with it. Um, I love it in the Bible dictionary. That's an update that's been made in the Bible dictionary about, or sorry, the church handbook about other translations of the Bible. I feel like for a while there was kind of like a hesitancy, you know, with other translations. And it's like, it's no. nice that it's now written in there. So people are like, oh, okay. It's not just like hearsay that it's okay or whatever, but you really <laughs> plus could another translation of the Bible ever be bad? Or something? Yeah, like, hey, what if it's bad? It's like, it's a Bible. It's okay. You're gonna be all right. Yeah. So, um, Anyways, that's just a tip for, for studying Romans. But to kind of catch you up on what's happening, he kind of at the end of one and throughout two express, like presents what the problem is. And he kind of gives hints go, and goes back to like the creation story in Genesis 1 to say, this was the intention of creation, like day seven, like this is, was the, the goal and intention. And then the fall happened. And the fall brought in sin and it brought in death and it brought in corruption. And it began like the tree's roots started to get corrupted, essentially. And so Paul, I mean, so Paul, <laughs> Paul teaches that God promised to Abraham, like, I will fix this. I will solve this problem and I'm going to do it through your family. 
right? The Israelites are going to be the people with this covenant responsibility to do that. But then Rome, but then Paul says, I just called him Rome. (laughs) (laughs) Then Paul says, but even the Israelites got corrupted into all this too. So it was sort of like, wait, the solution itself got corrupted. Like what is God going to do about this? So that's like sort of what he's talking about when you get to these sections that are in chapter three. And he says this in chapter three, starting in verse um, 22, where he just says this, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference. Remember in Paul's day, we have an issue of, did you have to be a Jew first, you know, or what about like outsiders, you know, God's like covenant family, are they the only ones? And he is teaching like, no, this is for everyone. He says in 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I think that might be a daily occurrence for all of us to consider where it is that I have fallen short. And a lot of times we think about the things that we fall short on and they overwhelm us a little bit. But then Paul says this, but we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And there is a moment he teaches about and comes back to that he teaches in 25, who God set forth this was like a to be a propitiation. That word in verse 25 means to satisfy the demands of justice through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And, and to declare this, he says in 26, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of them that believe. Um, this is kind of like in like sort of like heavy packed these verses here, but what Paul is teaching is a principle that he teaches so well, maybe better than, you know, most spots in scripture, this idea of being justified by believing in Jesus Christ, that the moment Jesus took our sins upon us on the cross, we were declared righteous like we were declared redeemed. We were declared set free. It's one of my favorite parts in the Book of Mormon is reading how often it talks about redemption in past tense, even though it, for them it hadn't even happened yet, right? But this is a powerful principle that those who believe and accept the atoning blood of Jesus Christ are set right before the Father. Like, it's written in sort of legal terms, like you are set free. Like, you, like it's been done. It's finished. Those were the last words of Jesus on the cross. He's like, yes, you fall short, but he came to rescue you from your own falling shorts and your own corruption and your own sin. And it's being like, it's almost as if judgment day when God will decide, yes, you are right before me has been moved backwards to this very day. And that is really, really good news. Everybody who hears that should think to themselves, that can't be true. That's too good to be true. And anytime you think the phrase, that's too good to be true, you're on the right track in understanding the gospel. It's just like, and and someone says, it can't be that easy. And and it says, it wasn't easy. It cost the very best blood that's come to this world but it was given to you. And it is not through your mountain of effort that you receive it. It's through his faithfulness and, and his goodness and his blood that that happens. And to you and I, whoever we are in the world, if we believe that and accept that, we are, we, God looks at what Jesus does and, account, and, and accounts it to us and says, I'm going to look at you the same way I look at him. He stood in your place. That's what that word propitiation means. And this is powerful. I mean, it just, man, um, I, one writer and Bible scholar I love so very much said this about these words. Essentially, it says this. These words packed into the things of this, that God was faithful to his covenant, that he would rescue the problem, that he has dealt properly with sin 
and he's committed to saving all those who call out in helpless faith. And he says this, there are many times in reading Paul when the right reaction is to kneel down and give God thanks. This is one of those times. That's a Bible scholar. His name is N.T. Wright. And I, I, I think that is powerful. And I want to live my life in view of that freedom, in, in, like, in reflection of that re- redemption, right? Um, there's this song I love. Maybe I'll put it for the song of the week on the app, but <laughs> it's so good. It's just like, um, it's called No Longer Bound is the name of it. And he just says, essentially one of the lyrics is, this is my response to you setting me free. Like I'm going to live out my life. Uh, I'm not living my life to earn the freedom. I'm going to live out my life in response to the freedom you gave me through the blood of Jesus. And I just want, in all my worst days, I wish that someone would just kneel down next to me and just say, Oh, the mistake, the falling short, the mess that you've got yourself in, someone came to rescue already. Yeah. That was already the plan. You're okay. That's not, you didn't screw anything up. Like everything isn't falling apart just because of where you are right now. Someone already came to rescue. Yeah. It's a, and it's a plan that was set out beforehand. You learn that in, as you yeah. study these and in the footnotes, like it was before you ever came onto the scene. Mistakes were anticipated. Right. And the plan to deal with them was in place. Like chapters one and two almost set up the uh, the feeling of like, what's God going to do now? Because his rescue plan failed. (laughs) The children of Israel failed. They couldn't do it. And he says, but I know what I meant all along is through that family line, I will send my, I will send one who will deal with this right and so uh, there's something that's i mean that's such good news that's something you're like why am i not ashamed because of that you know where it's like because i actually get to face my my flat tires and grocery lists and sins and problems and worries and everything that i have in a place of set free in a place of right before god like I can work on my heart. Like I, I have a long way to go in who I want to become, but I do it from a place of legally set free from my sins and death. Which you know is I mean? even cooler that that comes after not being ashamed. Mm. Because without the solution, it would be shameful. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. without, like of course you don't get to, you get to be unashamed because of him. Yes. Because yeah. otherwise you would be sitting in that mistake and you'd be like, mm-hmm. there would be a mess. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. You don't have to live in shame. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's so good. Um, there's always something so tender and he already did it. He already brought up past people in the Bible, but he's going to bring up Abraham again. And there's something so tender to me. When someone in scripture references someone else in scripture, hmm. it makes them so human to me. Hmm. Because I'm like, oh, they loved him. Like, I love Paul and Paul loved him. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> it, it makes them so human. Like, he just had a little favorite scripture. You yeah. Know? Yes. Yeah. And he does. He's going to bring up Abraham like he's his favorite scripture hero. And he pretty much goes through and compliments Abraham with some of the most beautiful words of all time. If someone said this about me, I would weep. Like, it is so, so tender. And he says, hey, I need you to remember the story of Abraham. Because it was a messy one. And it was not one full of ideal circumstances. In fact, it was actually pretty bad circumstances. Yeah. That if someone looked at the middle of Abraham's life and, like, the way that they felt like God was treating him, it would be hard to believe that God was good. Yeah. Like, God was promising something so good that you'd be like, that's rude, God. Don't promise something this big to Abraham when it's like not looking realistic at all. Right. You know, you're like dangling something in front of him. Yeah. That's the circumstances that Abraham was living in. Like a good promise dangled in front of him that he could never reach. Yeah. And if a friend of his could have easily just been like, I would stop believing in that God if I were you. Yeah. Right. Because I. I, And then all his friends probably would talk behind his back and be like, that is cruel. Right. That is so sad that Abraham is believing in something like that. Right. What a hopeless life to live. Yeah. Right? Right. And then Paul starts saying this. 
It's in Romans 4. It's going to be verse 18. He's talking about Abraham and he says, who against hope believed in hope. Mm -hmm. And in verse 19, and not being weak in faith. And verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. That word is so key. Staggered not. He walked so confidently in what God had promised him but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. That is the faith that Abraham had. And all of a sudden, when Paul describes it like this, it is something that is hard to believe because in the circumstances that Abraham was living in, being absolutely nothing, having really nothing like going through to build his faith, it was just him. Yeah, Like it was him and his relationship with God that was building his faith. Someone that didn't stagger. Someone that when all odds were against like having hope, when everyone was telling him to get his expectations down, he was saying, oh no, actually, I'm going to go ahead and believe. I'm going to believe. And it goes back to this verse 21. He believed that God was able. That is what he held true to. God is actually able to do this. Yeah. And it's so easy in circumstances to look around and be like, oh, maybe not in this situation with these circumstances. I don't think God is able here. Um, I got a letter one time from one of my favorite people ever. And um Me? I wrote it. Oh, oh, my second favorite person. <laughs> and um it reminds me of a circumstance that's without hope. Hmm. And maybe one that would be staggering. That would make you weak in faith. And when I read the type of person that Abraham was, it reminded me of this boy. And um, I'm just going to read it because I don't want to try to describe it because he describes it best. I feel like I have learned talking skills in seminary. I never used to talk, but I feel like God has helped me in this class. I can just put my problems away and focus on class. My mom has been on hard drugs for years. She was off them, but she just started them again. It's hard because I have two little sisters. They live with her and it's not easy for them. This has been, they have been through a lot. I just realized coming to seminary can help a lot. It makes me feel peaceful and just helps me. My sister is very inactive. She's 14. She's been sexually abused by my stepdad and I have been taking her to church and made her take seminary. And she says it's helped a lot. I feel like me coming has made me go to church for the first time in years. I want to go on a mission after all I've been taught. I've had suicide problems for about a year. I just need someone to talk to. Seminary helped me realize that you guys and God are all here. Mm. And I just can't help but think that if that boy looked at circumstances and if other people looked around at his circumstances, they would say, oh, you know what? You shouldn't have any more hope. Mm. And you should probably stagger around a little bit and to be honest like you should probably be a little bit weak in faith but that boy got introduced to a god that was able and he decided to trust that more hmm. and that is the name for jesus this week and i can't help but just fall in love with that name mostly because in the situation of abraham and the situation of that boy if they went anywhere else, they would find a lot of people who weren't able. Yeah. If Abraham went to doctors, they would say no. If Abraham right. went to the professor, he'd say, it's not, it's not looking good. If he went to history books, none, yeah. right? No. Sorry, this isn't going to add up. What you've been promised won't work. If this boy that wrote me that letter went to a doctor, or if he went to friends, or if he went to 1800 million other places and said, Hey, this is my situation. Like, how do I get out of it? They could give him some solutions, but I love that he chose to believe in a God that was able. Yeah. That he was bigger. Because he's a God, he says, who promises, but he's also able because I could throw out a lot of promises to people, mm. but I'm not able to bring them about. So he's not only a God who promises and gives hope, but he's also able to perform those radical promises that he gives. Which makes it even cooler that we believe in a God of radical promises. Yeah. Because you're right. 
a radical promise will mean nothing if someone's not able to come through. Right. And what's awesome, I love in this Romans 4 section, and, and the journal question in here, by the way, is so awesome. It's a chance to really like dive deep into like, where's your hopeless place? And, and where are you barren? And what can you not overcome? And what do you learn from this God of hope? And this God who is, who is able, because if you're new to Abraham's story, he was promised that he would have a, a posterity that numbered the stars of the heavens. And, and he was old and Sarah was old. They were barren. They were past. Like that's, that, that's the hopelessness that people would have said. Like there's no way that that can happen. And Paul's using Abraham as an example of two things. One to say he just believed and, and, it wasn't through his like efforts and everything that it happened. He just believed and God counted him righteous because that belief. But to also prove and show this, if God can do that for Abraham, if he's able to do that for Abraham, he's able to bring your miracle about also. And a couple verses down, he just says, oh, did you want to do no, this part? No, no, go ahead. You totally can. I want you to. Because this is the cutest part ever that he ends the story of Abraham after saying that God is able, he says in verse 24, but for us also. He's our God too. Yeah. If he could do that for Abraham, he can do it for this boy that wrote the letter. And he can do it for me when I don't have any hope. Yeah. And when everything else is stacked against us, oh, don't worry. He's for us too. Yeah. He's it's ours. So good. I love that phrase to speak of God and describe him as someone who is for us. And you see that in 24. Highlight those two words for us, right? That is, and he's, and he's proved it in Abraham's story that he's for us. Abraham was a, he was a pagan before. Like that's what most Bible scholars believe about him. You know, at some point he was just a nomad. He was a, a he had sheep in his backyard. Like he, like why, why would, why would you pick someone like him? He would have said like, why are you picking me? Like, you know, and, and, but God comes in, he's like, I am for you. And he, and he shows him that he is for him. And he was like, you can hope. In these promises, I'll bring them about. And, he, and Paul sets that up as, as this like in, inspiration for us. He was like, listen, you're, I, I, you might not have the same situation, but you may be in a problem big enough that is an, a, like equivalent, impossible, you know, promises here. And he's just like, you can have hope and you can stagger not, and you can believe in a God who promises and also in a God who is able. And in this context, he might be sharing and saying like, some of you might think to yourself, you can't rescue a person like me. Do you know what I've done in my life? Do you know the, the mistakes I've made, the sins I've committed, the people I've burned? Like, do you know all of those things? And it's just like, God can rescue you. God can redeem even your story. And then at the end in 24, he just says, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, let me give you another one, another example, another proof, not only that he's for you on the cross, it was proof that he was for you on the cross, but in the Easter tomb that I'm able to turn Fridays into Sundays. I'm, I promise it and I can also do it. So awesome. God made something out of nothing. And he is able to do it for us also. Yeah. He's for us. Put that on that page. You know that. No, th this one, this is why we need the good news, this <laughs> chapter, right? Let's end in this Romans chapter five section right here. And I now I want to leave that name poster up all year long. I know. So I'm going to add the other ones. We're just going to have two, <laughs> two. spots because I actually really need <laughs> able to be there. Like what an awesome reminder, like all week long to have that hanging up, that he's able, he's able to do this. I can, I can have hope. Um, chapter five has some like gems in it that let's just like kind of like highlight a couple that you will just love. It's almost like after all of that that he taught at the beginning of five, he says this, therefore being justified by faith, what we talked about in that earlier section, because we're already set free because of the righteousness and faithfulness of the Father and the Son, not because of not because of me. Hold on, let me everyone we, this might still be going, but I just it just is reminding you the battery's low, so I don't want to just in case it messes up the camera. But okay, just you know, because you've been set free and declared right because of the goodness and grace of Jesus, he says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and, and 
by whom we also by by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. I love that it says that you stand in grace. You stand. You live in it, right? You just like it is. You are immersed in that grace. You live your day. The moment you wake up, you wake up in a place of grace, like. Like you're, you, like, and he just says, and you can rejoice in hope and the glory of God. And he was like, with that stirring in your soul, look how you'd view tribulations in verse three. You could look at the problems of life and say like, oh, even these God's going to turn for good. All tribulations, they're going to build patience and patience is going to give me experience and experience is going to give me hope. And that hope is going to make me not ashamed. Because that love of God is water falling from heaven into our hearts, you know, and it just like just shows this spot that a person can live in, in celebration, in freedom, in hope, and in grace. Like, and it's just like, oh, this is what put a, puts a smile on a Christian's faith, face, <laughs> right? The babies just... <laughs> have faith in both. So anyways, there's just like so many things. Here's another gem. He says, verse seven, you rarely would find a righteous man, who, uh, someone who would die for someone who was good. You know, like that's rare to find a, he- that makes the front page news. If like you find someone who would die for someone else, like a hero story, like we give medals to people like that. But it's usually like, I died for the innocent. I died for the, for my, my, my buddy, you know, or something like that. And it was just like, you rare, like you rarely find stories like that. Where are you going to find a story where, where someone would die for a bad person, (laughs) you know? And it's just like, but that is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. But he says, I will die for you in the hope of what you can become. And then, and, and so you, you see all these things, you're just like, oh my gosh. Uh, there's just like and so many lines that you're like, yes, you, you know? You just want to cheer. That's the thing is that like, even when you just were saying that, I was like, that's true. I like read those stories when someone like dies for like this big group of people and it's so tender. And I just like want to cry. And it's yeah. like all these like innocent, great people. And then all of a sudden I just thought of that and I was like, I should be weeping. Yeah. Like that is like, this is good, good news. Yeah. And your heart is going to be hesitant to believe it every time. That is, again, if you say to yourself, it's too good to be true, you're on the right path to understanding what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And there, I want to skip down to this verse in, at the end in, in 19 where he says this. Um, because he says, by one man's disobedience, where he's talking about Adam, many were made sinners. Like by Adam, like death and sin came into the world. But by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous also. He says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, he was like, the law of Moses came. And, it, and some people use that law to try and earn their righteousness before God, to earn their forgiveness, to earn. But he says, actually, what the law does is it shows us how much we can't do. Like, it's actually like, I can't actually keep it, Right? Like, do you want to try? Take one line from, from Jesus. Uh, do unto others as they would ha- as you would have them do to you. <laughs> one, that's one statement. And see how, like, like, it being stated shows you like, oh my gosh, I actually can't be good enough, right? But he says this, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And that word abound, by the way, I learned from a smart Bible scholar is a one that Paul, he thinks made up, the second one. He, he translated it, but grace did much more super abound, <laughs> right? That where you realize, like, oh my gosh, where my mistakes abounded, where my problems abounded, where my hopelessness abounded, where my despair abounded, grace did super abound. That God will meet and overcome each of those problems with more despair is the promise and the good news in, in this section. That as sin, very last verse, hath reigned unto death, even so my grace reign unto eternal life. That you can experience life and light and hope. And you can wake up in the morning in it and just and face everything 
your problems that life will have and and your discouragements that life will have in light of that like mm -hmm. that that's the the message that he wants to say as big as those are there's much more grace yes exactly I love much more uh, that's that line that like yes much more um and, yeah oh yeah because we wrote it so there much more look what else it showed up let me just show you this i forgot how awesome that he just says this it. right after that part that like oh would I, I wouldn't have died for a in verse nine he just says much more than being justified as blood, we shall be saved. Verse 10, for if we were enemies, we we're reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Like, it's not scarce. Yes, exactly. He's just, yeah, he is mm. so generous and radical in his promises and his goodness. And he's also able to do it. That's, that's the message. That's the, the good news. It's such good news. It's like, who even knew this was so awesome? And remember this little intro of this book where he just says, listen, when he says, when this letter arrived in Rome, hardly anyone read it. Certainly no one of influence. There was a lot to read in Rome. Imperial <laughs> decrees, exquisite poetry, finely crafted moral philosophy. It was a busy, bustling city. And it says, and much of it was world class. And yet in no time, as such things go, this letter left all those other writings in the dust. Paul's letter to the Romans has had a far larger impact on its readers than the volumes of all those Roman writers put together. And that's because of who it was written about and the great act of love that was demonstrated through him and, and by him. So, oh, so awesome. We love it. Yeah. All right, you guys, we'll see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.